What's up, gentlemen? Before we begin, a friendly reminder that this podcast is not associated with any church, school, or calling body, and nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official doctrine, teaching, or theology of any church, school, or calling body. We're a bunch of dudes who love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, and this is where we air out our thoughts, so don't take it as much more than that. I hope that this is edifying for you. Let's get started with the show. Fellas, my name is Charlie Ungamak. I'm the founder and curator of Gird Up. Really happy to have you here. Excited if you're new, even more excited if you've come back and determined this is something that's valuable for you. We pray that we are a blessing to you, both I, myself, and my brothers uh, who take part in the podcast generally. We, we, we really do hope that we can be a blessing to you. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to do so yet, make sure you get on the Gird Up website. Check out the Gird Up website. Um, you can help support the podcast by buying gird up t-shirts or stickers the shirts are cool but we're running out of adult sizes so make sure you do that today you can also donate to the podcast um, by buying us a five dollar cup of coffee Um, it's a five dollar donation and it comes in your name and if you choose to make a five dollar donation we will shout you out on the next episode of the show and then if you would like to get on Patreon or something like that, you can do all that there as well. The links are all there. Anything you want to download from Gird Up is also there. Um, so, like uh, PDFs, signs, things like that, the free downloads, um, a growing number of blog posts, all that stuff is all on the Gird Up website. So make sure you find us there. Then follow us on social media um, and keep sharing this thing with friends, brothers. Uh, make sure that you are actually like telling other people about the podcast and and talking about it and then when you see dudes around you who are doing things um for the glory of god who are just doing awesome things for jesus make sure that you shout them out that you call them out um and that you uh um, well what i've been doing is taking guys on instagram or putting up reposting their stuff and then hashtagging it back your bros i want to see you do that too um look for dudes who are doing great things for jesus and uh, have their backs um, post it online, hey, say back your bros and, and we'll rock and roll from there. Fellas, we're going to start with prayer here and then we're going to rock and roll into the interview today with Pastor Gunther from St. John's in New Ulm and Dr. Keith Wessel. He doesn't go by doctor very often, but Professor Keith Wessel from Martin Luther College. They'll tell you who they are once the show starts. Let's say a quick prayer. Father, I uh, pray that you guide our words today, help us to speak the truth in love. Um, let the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths reflect you and your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's get started. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead, and our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to be the men that God created them to be. So roll up your sleeves, gentlemen, and gird up. It's time to get to work. Here we go. All right, we got two guests with us today. We got Pastor Gunther and Professor Wessel. Why don't you two uh, introduce yourselves, please? Sure, I'm Rob Gunther. I grew up suburb of Seattle. Um, graduate of MLC in 2000 from the SEM 2004. I was assigned to serve at a congregation in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was for served for six years there. Then I took a call to Kenai, Alaska, and I served for eight years there. I've been here in New Ulm, associate at St. John's for the last three years. Just started my fourth year here. So awesome. So you bounced all over the place. Coast to coast and back. Every climb. And landed in the middle, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Professor? Yeah, in complete contrast, I haven't gotten too far from home. Um, born <laughs> and raised here in New Ulm. My father was a professor at Dr. Martin Luther College. He was the director of the student teaching program. And he taught there for 35 years, so I was... Uh, I'm one of the few natives on the faculty. Um, I had the pretty traditional route through our, quote, synod schools, except I didn't go to a prep school. I was in the very first freshman class of MVL when it opened in 1979 with just two grades, uh, freshmen and sophomores. 
Uh, so in part of the second graduating class, first class to go all four years. Uh, they just graduated their 40th class, and my daughter, my youngest daughter, Joanna, was in that <laughs> class. So uh, between girlfriends, in-laws, and, and kids, uh, uh, we have eight MVL graduates in our family. So That's awesome. I would have never dreamed that would have happened. <laughs> uh, so I went to Northwestern College, graduated in 87, and the seminary in 91. I vicared in Houston, Texas. And then at uh, call day, I was assigned to Michigan Lutheran Seminary. Uh, wasn't expecting that because uh, Liz and I were married and expecting Allison at the time. And in those days, you know, it's like, you know, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Uh, <laughs> no, in those days, married tutors were rare. They were. So we weren't expecting that. But it was uh, a pleasant surprise when Doc John... Lorenz greeted me at, at the Sem Gym, handed me a large stack of books and said, you're going to teach American literature. <laughs> I said, oh, good, yeah. We just went through that last semester. No. Uh, I think I, my only qualification was I like to read. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was a growing experience. I was reassigned after three years of tutoring, flunk tutoring. <laughs> after three years of tutoring, I went down to Atlanta. I was pastor, associate pastor at Beautiful Savior uh, Lutheran Church in Marietta, Georgia. That's on the northwest side of Atlanta. So so in some ways I've had a weird uh, ministry. I've never been a solo pastor at a congregation, and I have never not worked with a district president. <laughs> so, so maybe, and now on a faculty, I, I think maybe my ministry is just one of getting under increasingly tight supervision. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, currently, I teach courses in Greek and Latin and religion. So that's what I do. Not to lay it on too thick here, but I genuinely uh, like, so the first two or three days of class, I was getting distracted by watching you teach instead of actually listening to what you were saying because I was like it just is really cool to see you in your element as uh, yeah. I had him for class this last semester, but to see you in your element. Um, and I know, I know you said several times you would love to go back. Well, maybe not love to go back, but you, you miss the, the preaching. Sure. In from the pulpit. But uh, I, to see you doing your thing as a professor is, is a, is a marvel. I love it. Wow. It's a blessing. At least one of those things where you see somebody and you, you don't even go like, wow, I wish I was more like him. You just see him and you just go like, man, Praise the Lord that these people exist. <laughs> well, so. I appreciate that encouragement. It's it's not the easiest thing, really, to get guys to leave the parish. Uh, you know, when we talk to our, our students up there, th sure, there's there's always a number of them who go, yeah, I'd like to be a prof. But, you know, it's all they've never ever known. And that rapidly fades once they go vicaring, right, Rob? And then they get into parish work, and it's like, man. Why would I want to go be a prof? Right. <laughs> and the correcting. That would be the worst. <laughs> oh, I just got a raft of papers in uh, yesterday, for, or Sunday, I should say, for my online course that I'm teaching in the master's program. Um, that, yeah, and that kind of ties in with our, our topic, too, because we just had our first graduate this spring from our new Master's of Arts and Theological Studies degree program at MLC. Uh, former staff minister from here, Brandon Steenbach. But he wrote uh, his thesis, and I was his thesis director. He wrote it on transhumanism and uh, do cyborgs have hope? You know, so, I mean, he was, it was, it was really a, a well-done thesis and, and a very interesting topic. And it's going to be one that's increasingly pertinent. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, to to just jump into it, then um, there's a whole lot of people talking about things like church is dead, right? Um, especially after COVID, with the the idea that we can all worship online. There's still people who have, frankly, have no reason not to be in church who are choosing to worship online, um, and you see a trend trending towards online. And some churches have fought back against that, quote unquote, fought back against that by just going back to normal in person worship. And there's some parts of the world where they're still have to be social they're required to be social distancing um so i don't know <laughs> what, the, there's a lot of people my age i think um that either love church and are worried that it will die 
um, or who are just dismissive of it and say, look, I don't need it. Um, so maybe that's the best place to start here is, is why is church important and why do we make sure it doesn't go away? Well, I think that it's, it's important as studies have shown, the more people are connected online, the more Facebook friends you have, the lonelier you actually are. You're not making real connections. And I think through COVID, we've seen people crave that connection again. When we first started our online Bible study, we used to average, I don't know, 50 in Bible class, and we had 120 the first couple of weeks back. And it was just people were excited to see each other again and connect with actual faces, even though it was through a Google Hangout and not face-to-face per se, even though it's face-to-face. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So I think the more we're connected digitally, the more we crave a real connection at the same time. And so I don't think church is going to go away. Radio didn't kill the church. Television didn't kill the church. The internet didn't kill the church. Gates of hell either. Right, nor the gates of hell. Right. (laughs) So we kind of have that promise. That's a good one. Um, That's the name of the Howard Stern show, right? The gates of hell. (laughs) Oh, is it? (laughs) I don't know. No, that was a joke. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I think think there will always be that need for human interaction. And the more people try and distance themselves and say, I don't need it, the more they crave it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just think about, so one of the, one of the things I always tell dudes is, um, like there's, you gotta have like levels to your relationship too, as far as like, you can only have close friendships with however many people. And the challenge for most young men is not finding five people or sorry. The challenge is not having a, a community of friends. The challenge is actually having five people to be intimate with like that were like actually, you have a relationship with to the point where they're welcome in your home. They're welcoming. They know what's going on in your heart and your soul and all those things. Like when we talk about friendships like that, you would expect that the struggle would be cutting people out of your life, if you will. Um, but the actually the opposite is true is finding men that you're, especially young men who you can align yourself with and be battle buddies, if you will, or whatever term you want to use. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Instead of having a network that's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Right. Have, an inch wide, but a mile deep. Yeah. Right. And relationships. And yeah. church is where that, in theory, <laughs> that's where those relationships should be should be rooted, right? And so you have people talking about like, hey, like I don't, I don't, I guess, why, why should young people, like, I don't even know how to say this. Like, there's just... Why shouldn't we be dismissive of that, though? I guess there's, like, we get people saying, like, hey, I've got friends at home. Like, we get together. We read our Bibles together. All that. We don't need a church. Um, why Why do we need churches? Why can't we just get together and, like, a, why don't we just do a house church and, and rock and roll from there? I remember a conversation I had with a member in, in Raleigh who said, I, I watch the service online, I listen to your podcast, I, I read my Bible, I don't really need to come to church. Uh, I'm getting all that I need here at home. And, and my response was, let's say hypothetically you are as spiritually strong as you say that you are, then there are people at church that need you. So stop being so selfish. Mm-hmm. And that pointed out to him, he's like, oh boy, that kind of hit home. I'm thinking about this in a consumer mentality, only what can I get instead of how can I serve? And my point then to him, which he got, was you're not as spiritually mature as you think if you're only concerned about yourself. And it hit a home and he started coming again, which was a, a pastor win. So, <laughs> Reminds me of a, a, a treatise that Bernard of Clairvaux wrote way back in the uh, late 1100s. He was one of your classmates, I bet. I uh, yeah, he was one of my <laughs> classmates. Now, you know, uh, Bernard of... Bernard of Clairvaux has uh, sometimes been called the last of the church fathers. He... Uh, he had a, a he had a very important impact on Luther too. I mean, Luther admired Bernard of Clairvaux, and he said a, a lot of good things. But in his treatise on loving God, that's what it was called. Uh, it's kind of along the same lines, Rob. He said, uh, "People want to go to heaven for various reasons, right? First, because they don't want to go to hell." He said, "This is faith at its most immature." Uh, the next level up is a little better, but kind of smacks of what you were talking about. I, w- I want to go to heaven because of all the great blessings that I'll experience there. Uh, but that's really kind of selfish. And the faith in its purest form, 
uh, what the medieval th- uh, theologians called the beatific vision, right? Where Dante's divine comedy finally ends. You see the face of God and th- this is enough. You know, you love God for who God is, right? Not because of what he does for you, like he's some vending machine. Um, and that that's a real challenge because we have this consumer mentality, don't we? in our country it's all church is supposed to fit into the cracks and kind of a convenience right right yeah i think that's a problem especially with young well just young people in general but especially with young men is a like across the board not even with uh just faith um but you have a false sense of expertise or or whatever it might be right so you got young men that show up to their first day of work and think they know it all and we take that same attitude, I think, towards the church often, where you don't recognize how immature you are until maturity is required, or you don't recognize how weak your faith is until faith is required. And you can either go shore that up before crisis comes, or you can wait till crisis comes and see what happens. And uh, yeah. that's what I hear. You, that's that's the warning I hear in your words. There is well, it's the weekend athlete syndrome, right? Yeah, I'm in shape. And we go out and run a block and <laughs> drop over. <laughs> yeah. I guess I wasn't as in shape as I thought I was. Yeah. So what are you finding at St. John's, Rob? I mean, as we pull out of the pandemic. Well, right. Or, or maybe you don't want to talk about. No, I'm okay with that. Right away yeah. when it first hit, we made it a point to try and stay connected to people. And we called through the entire directory. We've gone through it twice now, just connecting with people. How are you? And they appreciated it. Um most were connected through the radio program we've got here in New Ulm, through the website and our YouTube channel. We switched to YouTube right away because we knew it had a broader audience, and we upped our game with that. So they were connected in that way, and they appreciated that we called to keep the connection personal, too. Um, the phone call was, again, we're using tech here. Um, but I think that's part of the culture, too, is the tech has made us impatient. I, I don't have to go to the store anymore. I click on Amazon, on my app, on my phone, and it's there the next day. Um, I want what I want right now, and that's something we need to... That's the consumer mentality, I think. But um, at St. John's, I've been surprised that post-COVID, we've bounced back very, very quickly. We're back at numbers that are higher among our membership and attendance than pre-COVID. Now, that's not counting Martin Luther College students, which have not been back yet, but among our own members... We've seen people that we haven't seen in years come back, and I think because they've missed it. You, you know, you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone, and I think that was a part of it. Did did either of you see the uh, July Wells connection with Dave Rosenau? Uh, oh, but I saw his talk a few years ago at the leadership conference. Yeah, yeah right, right, too. and uh, how the Lord's blessed his work down in Leesburg, Florida. I've been trying to get him on the show. Yeah, well, <laughs> what's really interesting, uh, I was guest preaching in Sleepy Eye this past weekend, and they, you know, it was their service to show the Wells connection, but it was it was an it was incredibly low tech and traditional his evangelism outreach. But w- what he keyed in on was it, if you ask people, do you have a church? What are they going to say? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's that one over by, um, oh, right. where is it again? <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. I can't remember the name of it. but Yeah, right, right. Uh, that happened to me once at, when we did evangelism in, a, in Nicollet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one over there. Oh, really? Well, it even okay. happens every once in a while in the, in the MLC Fitness Center. You'll, you'll register somebody, yeah. and you'll be like, all right, what's your local congregation? And they look at each other like, uh, uh. St. Catharines. But anyways, what the question they started asking people instead of do you have a church is do you have a pastor? Yeah. Do you have a pastor who comes and visits you? And they have found uh, that seems to resonate more with people because what you were talking about, Rob, you know, the personal connection. You know, that you just, you can't get sitting in uh, your pajamas on the sofa with a cup of coffee, you know. Right. And you can a little, because I've, I've made it a practice here to email everyone on their birthday or anniversary. Yeah. And that's made a connection, even though it's not a face-to-face visit, but sure. they're always, hey, thank you for thinking of us and praying for us today. So, yeah, but you're right. It's that, it's all about relationship, really, in the end. 
we are bridges to build the relationship between Jesus and them, and yeah. we've got to build relationships with them to do so. So, A week or two ago, I was having a conversation with another pastor who um, said, he kind of framed it as, you can see this whole like exodus from church, if you will, during COVID as either a a struggle or as a blessing as a pastor, right? So um, all of a sudden you have this real life situation which tells you exactly who's invested and who, I don't like the word faithful, but you know who is in their hearts is faithful and who is struggling. And now you know exactly who they are because you got a list of people that are watching and showing up and participating. And you got a list of people who aren't. And you can look at that as a pastor and be really frustrated and be like, ah, oh, you know, look at all these people that I didn't ever actually reach. Or you can look at it and say, all right. Yeah, here we go. I know exactly who we need, whose relationships we need to work on, know exactly who we need to reach out to. Yeah, but bound up with that is kind of one of the great temptations of the ministry for a pastor is that we uh, judge our own value and the mm. success of our ministry on the number of people who show up in our church, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, all, that's a perennial temptation, isn't yeah. it? I think it, it gets even stronger with young pastors, too. I, I think just... It takes a sometimes it takes a while for young pastors in particular to to get past that a little bit. That's like so. That's my observation. Well, what is God looking for? I mean, sure, faithfulness, talent. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, God gives talent. He's the one in charge of that. But he, he's looking for people. Uh, you know, in addition to being faithful. Uh, well, maybe we can use that word in its absolute literal sense, full of faith. I mean, I always go back to Gideon. What was God looking for? Was he really looking for an outstanding general? No, he was looking for a guy who had the faith to go stand up on a mountain and watch God destroy an army. I mean, that's what he was looking yeah. for, right? And ironically, when he thought he was the tough guy is when he started failing. Right. Yeah. Well, and he was somebody that had absolutely nothing to lose also. So it's a lot easier to have humility when you are literally the, the, low, the youngest in your family and it's the lowest family and the lowest clan of the nation. Like, if you're the scum at the bottom of the barrel, yep. it's a little bit, maybe I don't know, easier isn't the right word, but it's a little bit more likely, maybe, that you uh, have some humility than, or I guess maybe, that's not true either. Now that I think about, you see, anyway, that's a different conversation. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't know if this came up subliminally or, or not, because just this morning on my Facebook page, I uh, shared an article from... I think it was Smithsonian. They discovered a pottery shard with the name Jerob Bale on it. Oh, really? Which is yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it the same one? But then again, <laughs> how many guys were named that? I mean, yeah. uh, or was it actually from that time? Five hundred years later, a bunch of little kids playing playing Gideon. So yeah. they got their I'm, jars. Yeah, I'm Jerob <laughs> Bale, right? So. Okay, so obviously in-person uh, connection is, is important, it's valuable, and we want to keep pushing for that. And you can do wonderful, awesome ministry without technology, uh, but technology is, whether we like it or not, whether we jump on a train or not, technology is where the future is going. So yep. how does that look in church? Yeah. What does the future of church look like? Well, I, I don't think I'm talking out of school here, Rob. I'm. It, it's no secret that uh, I've been asked by the church council to head up a study group uh, that's looking at the renovation of the interior of St. John's for its 75th anniversary in two years. And uh, this is a hot-button issue. Uh, and you know what it is, don't you, Rob? Sure, the screens, always. Always, <laughs> always the screens. <laughs> always the screens. Um, uh, do we really put 80-inch TVs up in front of our church? You know, back in 2000, that was the year of the first symposium. And I got tapped to be the young guy that year. And it was forward in Christ at the dawn of the whatever millennium. I happened to be the second millennium. Um, but we were talking, you know, in the Q&A session afterwards. And um, at that time, I said, well, I can envision a smart pew. Uh, so this something like an airplane seat where you got a little monitor like for every seat oh. and i said here you got your sermon notes you got your hymnal that pops up I, and then i actually even said and i wasn't meaning to be impertinent but um i think some took it that way i said even has a credit card swiper which you know <laughs> do your offerings right there like that and and uh, that was a little too much for uh, dean richard Balgate. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just started 
He just started I la- could, laughing. I can add to that. You could do attendance that way too. So you have a sensor in the seat that like reads your backside, and you know what everybody's backside looks like, so you know who was sitting in the pew. Oh. We can already mount the camera that is facial recognition. So uh, Fair even enough. that'll be needed yeah. because soon it'll be the glasses you put on and the thumb scan. That That's true. Oh yeah. That, so. Are you actually together if you're just wearing <laughs> virtual reality goggles? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? What is community? Right. And I would say, are you together if you're talking on the telephone? Are you together if you're in a Zoom meeting? Yeah. Yes and no, right? Right. Um, Do you need physical contact? Do you need a handshake? We're together in worship, even though we're separated by a pulpit and 50 feet. Um, There's always some separation. The the church has always used technology, though. Technology... Paul used the technology of writing and scrolls, right? Yeah. And, and Roman roads and ships and to travel. And he sent messengers to go carry the letter. There was a separation there. And then printing press. There's letters written, books written, sent out, studied, read. There was a connection, even though there's a separation. So, yes, I think VR can certainly do the same thing we're doing through a YouTube channel and through a podcast which we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. In the opening chapter of this book that uh, uh, Rob and I are both reading right now, I just sent him this link yesterday. It's called Virtual Reality Church. It's <clears throat> brand new. And it's from the head of technology at Dallas Theological Seminary. That's one of the authors. And he was intimately involved with all kinds of stuff from the very beginning. I mean, he was one of the main guys, right, who developed Lugus, the right. Bible mm-hmm. software. Uh, but, you know, he talks about the law of unintended consequences. That, and I think this is, this is one of the things when, it talk, when we talk about technology in church, uh, that we carefully think through these things so we don't just rush into things and uh, all of a sudden find ourselves unable to ex- extricate ourselves from the situation we've created. For example... He talks about how Socrates was very suspicious of the whole thing of writing. And so Socrates never wrote anything. Plato wrote everything. But Socrates was suspicious of writing that technology because he said this will cause a decrease in the exercise of memory. Uh, And then the printing press uh, was originally created by Gutenberg, of course, you know, in the mid-1400s, a good Catholic and one of its primary purposes initially fostered the uh, printing of indulgences en masse, and it became a real cash cow. But then it also fostered the Protestant Reformation, you know, so it was an unintended consequence, uh, something Gutenberg would have probably been appalled at, that this reformer was using his press and his technology to spread all these ideas that at that time were perceived to be divisive. So we've kind of touched on it already. Out of necessity, we, we started streaming our services. But there, uh, and we do that with the best intentions and with full faith that the word of God is not bound, right? But what are the unintended consequences of all that? And I think we're still kind of wrestling through that. And that'll always be the case. I mean, Paul had consequences. If he wrote it down, people are going to take it out of its context mm-hmm. and misunderstand it, um, and that happens. But but I, I like your illustration of the printing press designed maybe with Satan behind it to, right? And, and whenever Satan tries, God turns it on its head. How did the Internet begin? It was, wasn't it satellites for war that started all of this, right? Yep, yep. And yet, look at the blessings that have come. And certainly there are abuses. There's the porn industry that's a billion dollar industry but then how many churches didn't just jump online in the last six months or i guess a year and a half mm-hmm. um what where satan tries to build something god uses it and god is the master chess player always a thousand steps ahead of satan so well and you even look at like the modern church in america in particular you've got um frankly thousands of false teachers who are spreading absolute poison it to the church worldwide because they have that access and yet how many churches during covid then have used the exact same blueprint to get the truth out um, where you have i mean of course we don't want people to hear false teaching 
But say they were so successful in spreading that now you've got a blueprint for how you go about doing the ministry, which say is a blessing and a, a curse all at the same time. Yeah, and to the unintended consequences, one of the things brought up in the book here is is how televangelists started with the honest and sincere intent of how can we get the gospel out to millions. Sure. But then through their platform, they became kind of celebrities. Mm-hmm. They raked in billions of dollars, and then they became Correct. corrupt and quickly fell. And so you're right. There's always that unintended consequence when... When you start something well, I guess Satan's going to work the other way too. Whatever, <laughs> where yeah. God builds a church, Satan builds a chapel. So, yeah. I think uh, you know. I found this even in in my uh, own life. Uh, it's time for confessions, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, during the COVID, it's like, uh, okay, we go to St. John's. Yeah, but you know what? I want to watch my brother preach this morning up in St. Paul. You know, better preaching. Well, no, I, <laughs> or you know, one time I tuned into Sam Jeske out in Indiana, you know, and then sent him a note of just as encouragement. You know, I was kind of had a, a close relationship with Sam, and uh, he's like, "Wow, I was blown away!" You know, Professor Wessel's watching. I, well, I, there are probably more important people even watching his his, <laughs> his sermon, but it, that's an unintended consequence. And then we've. We're kind of back into the consumer mentality. It's like, but I am going to church, you know, and I like the variety. Uh, I don't know. Have you encountered? How do you, how do you, battle that idea that it, it's such a not? I mean, you can do it legalistically, can't you? I mean, you can use Hebrews and go, "Hey, Scripture says, do not forsake gathering together." But it's a little bit of a law. Um, but how, how do you? go about fostering the great blessing of not only being part of a fellowship of believers, but actually having a shepherd. Yeah. So I, I think one of the COVID memes was when your parishioners come and tell you, we watched four services this week and you rejoice. <laughs> and then you ask, what did you think of ours? And they say, Oh, um, <laughs> so, but in my mind, if they're connected to the word, that's what's going to make that impact, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want them guilted or um, feeling shamed that they must be in our pew or they're not faithful Christians. So if they're connected to the word and they're watching, especially mm-hmm. Orthodox preaching, right? If they're, mm-hmm. if they're getting godly law and gospel messages, I rejoice in that and say, then when the opportunity comes, when we, we reopen, they're going to go, I, I want to have that community too. So... I think the sense of community is fostered by the word and we don't need to be intimidated if they're getting it from someone besides me. Yeah. I know. I, I, and I agree with all that, but you know, at the same time, um, I was just writing an essay for the Norwegian convention on uh, Christian freedom. They asked me to, you know, kind of exegize Galatians five one and you know, that took me into the adiaphoristic controversy and the formula of Concord and where it specifically mentions self-chosen worship. You, you, know, what, you know what I'm getting at? It's like, it's like uh, worship on my own terms. <laughs> but, but that's not new to no. the Internet and YouTube. It's, I don't like this church, I'm going to transfer my membership across town. Or, I mean, that's... That was one of the blessings of Alaska. The nearest Wells Church was like four hours away. So <laughs> well, where yeah. are you going to transfer to? Right. right? right. So, um, but but we've we've had that. We that's not new. I like this worship style, so I'm going to go over there. Or yeah. I like this preacher better. Um, I'm always concerned when people are attached to the personality of the pastor instead of to the congregation. So that that can be a, again. I mentioned it's all about relationships, and that can be a good thing. But I don't want it to stay there want them to grow into that maturity that so i get what you're saying i don't have a good answer though (laughs) i don't either (laughs) why not go to i mean like i get the i certainly understand the playing a little bit doubles advocate here by the way yeah just (laughs) just remember whose team just remember (laughs) whose team you're on (laughs) yeah so i i obviously we don't want people leaving our churches to go somewhere where there is an orthodox preaching um but like for example like a new church opens across town and it's a pastor who like you just jive with right 
<laughs> and far more than your own pastor. Why shouldn't you just go across town and attend that church? Well, part of the challenge is what happens when that pastor takes a call. Yeah. Are you going to jump again? And, and then you get into this game of just drifting and hopping and hopping. I would argue, too, just, again, check yourself. Is it all about me and what I get out of it? Or is it part, how can I serve? So when people have asked, you know, new profs move to town, which church should we join? Maybe you should consider where your gifts can best be used yep. instead of what will I like better? Uh, I'm not condemning my hometown, but um, it, w- it would just be naive, you know, if, if we just turned a blind eye to the fact that over the years, uh, the memberships of both St. John's and St. Paul's has waxed and waned. Uh, and there has been a flow back and forth, not just of the college students, although a lot of times primarily of the college students, uh, which, which pastor they like better. Um, but it, it, it has shifted, uh, you know, right? Yeah. And uh, that, that, that happens, doesn't it? And you think about a city like Milwaukee, where we have 70 churches. Well, when we were at seminary, uh, uh, my good friend John Steinbrenner, he hit on the idea that, you know, we should just go to a different church every Sunday just to hear different styles of preaching. And uh, that was, I thought that was a good idea. And I didn't know Milwaukee all that well, and he did. And so got into a lot of different congregations, saw a different lot of worship styles. And, and although it wasn't, you know, as, as diverse as it is today. But. Well, what about, um, so you've got, and I, this should not be the case, but it is because we're sinners and pastors are mm-hmm. sinners too. You I have a lot of conversations with guys that'll say things like, well, this pastor is feeding me and this other pastor isn't like I'm growing in faith in this church and I'm he's this church isn't pushing me or this church doesn't have the community or this church doesn't like I'm looking to grow in my faith. I desperately want that and I'm not getting it here. And so I go to the other church. Uh, Is there something wrong with that? That is a tough one. Um, That is tough. I mean, you understand the sentiment. Right. I would ask, why are you not being fed at this other place? And maybe have a conversation with some of the leadership there. Uh, Maybe you can change the culture. But if if ultimately in the end you're saying I'm not being spiritually fed. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Well, and you say, and I, anybody who's listened to the podcast knows I, I, I preach that men stay. Like, men stay, and you stay in the fight, and only when you've exhausted the fight do you move on. Um, but that's a, it's also a real thing that we have to consider. And, uh, again, I hate to say this, but that does happen. I've seen it happen with pastors where, like, you see them standing in the pulpit, and you just – you can tell by their demeanor, by the even by the way they talk. Mm-hmm. The way the way I'll sometimes put it is, you don't, you don't. This is arrogant, but you don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. Because if you knew Jesus the way I knew Jesus, you wouldn't talk about Jesus that way. You know what I mean? Be a little more. And that's definitely about it. true. And that's not even necessarily like that. You'd be yelling and screaming, and your arms would be waving or whatever. But you know, like you just keep giving me the Cheerios version of the gospel, and you've never given me a steak dinner in years. You know, and and uh, and so. How do you, as a young man, obviously we want to be the leader, especially if you're in a place where there's you know one one church in town that preaches the Orthodox gospel, right? So I'll answer from a, a perspective of a pastor. If I were that guy, I would want my members to come to me lovingly and tell me the hard thing. Pastor, you need to work on your sermons. Spend a little more time in the study so that you can feed us better. I, I, and, and then give me examples. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, if somebody says I'm not being fed, uh, I think a logical question is, well, what's your ideal menu? I mean, what are you looking to eat? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, are, are you sure you're not being fed? Because, man, uh, the gospel a lot of times is just bread with olive oil and, you know. And not chocolate cake, yeah. And not chocolate yeah. cake. Um, uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, I think especially as conservative Lutherans, we are, we always are, it's built into our fabric, of our our DNA, I should say, our spiritual DNA. We are always suspicious of emotionalism. 
and that goes back to pietism, you know. And uh, but you can't imagine Luther not being riled up often. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there are people who get you know riled up about contemporary worship and say, well, it's just sheer emotionalism. Well, um, but is not a mighty fortress on Reformation Sunday mm-hmm. with a full brass choir? What are you supposed to just sit there passively with that and just not have a you know, oh oh tingle went up my spine that was wrong no i mean yeah well it's the ism part that's always the problem right yeah. emotions are okay emotionalism yeah. piety is a good thing pietism is not yeah. right yeah. so it's where you draw that line are you using it as a gimmick to manipulate or is it coming naturally and then you got to throw in different personalities yep. you know good germans when they hear a funny joke they will smile as loudly as they can <laughs> so it's another yeah. proverb, when Germans are happy, they sing sad songs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sad songs mean so much. Yeah. yeah. So, there's different personalities, different styles, too. Yeah. I, I don't know that that's... Yeah, that's... There's variety. As, as a pastor, I don't know how to say it gently. Dem's fighting words when you come and accuse me of not being faithful. Right. You know? Right. Well, I think that's that that's a big concern for especially younger people is yeah. hey, I'm gonna walk into the pastor's office and be like, Hey, get your act together. What's gonna happen after that? Well, I think you can advise young people don't go into the, don't go talk to your pastor with your agenda. Why don't you start by saying, Are you okay? You know, is something going on in your life? Uh, am I aware of everything you're trying to do in this congregation? <clears throat> because there, there are members of the congregation who won't do it. And this is part of your definition of faithfulness, that you're just doing everything and you're burning yourself out and you kind of got nothing left on Sunday morning. You know, is, is this what's going on with you? Uh, loving concern, uh, building a rapport, uh, yeah. And maybe to bring it full circle, instead of the consumer mentality, am I getting what I want and what I like, and is this the chocolate cake that pleases me, how can I serve you, Pastor, and help you so that you can devote more time to this? How can I get more involved? What can I take off your plate is the more yeah. mature attitude. Absolutely. Well, you're talking about relationship again. Um, and I don't think I've ever really thought about that before. Is relation- Well, I guess that's not true. But how often do we talk about the responsibility of lay people to have a relationship with their pastors. A lot of mm-hmm. times we talk about the opposite way, but we don't often talk about it the other way, too. Of It is a layman's responsibility to make sure that their pastor is being looked after. Well, I think, uh, you know, that varies from place to place. It, you know, in it, when I was pastor in Georgia, uh, now I've never been a pastor in the Midwest, uh, so I don't want to paint with too wide a brush, but uh, it was hard to leave because we had such a close bond with those people, and uh, they they'd embarrass you by how well they took care <laughs> of you. You know, uh, I think in the Midwest, we've I think we've kind of always struggled against the well, what we inherited from our German forefathers that the pastor is Herr Pastor, and like you're friends with the pastor, that just doesn't make any sense, you know. Uh, because he 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 has to be on a pedestal or kept at an arm's distance, right? Well, you see, again, look at Luther. Like, there's no doubt Luther was intimately involved in the details of the lives of his congregation. Well, even St. Paul, where, you know, he writes to the Thessalonians that we shared our lives with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To what extent should a congregation reflect its, well, either its pastor or its or its members? Like, I know this is kind of a maybe a transition, but that's what I was thinking about while you're saying that is not necessarily this second half of the conversation here, but the earlier on in the conversation when we're talking about um, like whether or not there should be screens, you know, whether or not like how we go about uh, um, evangelism, um, you know, the style of music. To what extent should that should that be reflective of the pastor or the congregation? Should it like should we be pushing people into new things and uncomfortable zones? Like how how do we approach yeah. all that? Go ahead. Uh, lots of conversation, I think. In a way, 
pastor and congregation are like a marriage. There's There's got to be give and take, and we need to push each other, I guess. You don't want one just calling all the shots. I'm not the CEO of St. John's, thank goodness. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of feedback and talk and discuss, and what are the hidden disadvantages that we're not seeing? What are the challenges? What are the blessings? Give and take, and I think encourage people to make the decision not based on what do I like and what do I want. Instead, what will serve the greatest number of people with the gospel? And that takes growth and maturity, and that comes from being in the yeah. Word. So, And specifically in, in our circle as a congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I first came out of seminary, uh, okay, that was 1991, it was fairly common wisdom uh, back then, you know, talked in the classroom, that you, should, you shouldn't stay in a place more than seven years. You know, almost like a Presbyterian or a diocese arrangement where, you know, the DP will move you around after seven years, right? Now that has changed completely uh, with the idea that longer uh, pastorates are more ideal for building a culture. But that's a that's kind of a two-edged sword, isn't it, Rob? I mean... It is, because it takes time to build trust and build that relationship. Yeah, I've always taken calls while they still like me is my goal. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always happen. Right. But it can take a long time to build that relationship. Um, I know I'm thinking of one woman in particular in Alaska. It was the eighth year that we'd, we'd gone through the BIC like twice. And she finally said, you know, I, I want to join. And can, what can I do? And let's talk. So, But it took that long sure. before she was willing to kind of open up. And um, even now, here, you know, the first year, people are getting to know you. The second year, they start to trust you. Mm-hmm. The third year, they open up with their real issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... You don't want to bounce too quickly. I think there's wisdom that we don't get calls for four years after you've been in a place. But um. but, but with the longer pastorate, see what can happen. And I, I do think we have uh, some brothers in this situation where they've created a culture in their congregation that is so unique that they can't leave. And what will happen in that church when they mm. ultimately do because they must? whether in death or <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> retirement, mean, right? Right, right. And uh, and so... Um, I don't ever want a church that's dependent on me. Right. And in all honesty, uh, you know, as I look across the you know landscape of our uh, Wells Ministerium, uh, we have just a, a really big middle ground where most pastors fit, Right. Uh, but on either side, and I do mean that, on either side, uh, whether that be the uh, high church, you know, very traditional worship or the contemporary worship, both of those groups have their own little networks, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, they, they have a, a pool of, of guys they know and, and uh, who can take over that congregation. Um, now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I don't know. Um, it can be disruptive to a congregation. Let's say that you, you do full-blown uh, contemporary worship, and uh, then the next guy comes in, and uh, he's just either moderate or maybe leans more towards high church. I mean, that can jolt a congregation, too. Uh, so I, I, I don't say that judgmentally. I just say it as an observation uh, that I think we have this situation right now in our our synod, but that's where the role of the DP becomes so important, right? He has to know all the congregations mm-hmm. and draw up call lists, right? And that's where there's comfort in the doctrine of the divine call, too, that the yeah. Holy Spirit will put the right person in the right spot. Even if it seems disruptive and blowing things up, he'll use it for his good purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is beyond me to ponder, but. Yeah. Well, he's even a, to a certain extent, you can look at as a pastor and as a congregation, you almost need to look at what can we do really well? Like, what are we equipped to do really well? Yeah, yeah. If you're coming into a church that does really well with contemporary music and you don't have an organist, then you walk in the door and say, all right, organ it is. <laughs> you know, say, yeah. that, that, like you said, it's going to be incredibly jolting. But if you're a pastor who's, who's a fantastic guitar player or you, you know, whatever it might be, and you walk into a church and you say, all right, I want to start introducing some of this. And you introduce it and you talk about like, hey, this is what I'm really good at. I'd like to share this gift with you. And you frame it that way. Mm-hmm. I, you can ease that transition a little bit too. Oh, yeah. I had a 
sad story. I mean, I had a um, classmate who is no longer in our uh, church body. Um, he was assigned to a parish, I'll just say out west. How's that? Uh, but he had a, a great passion <clears throat> for high liturgical worship. And the congregation, you know, the largely ranchers show up in their ring boots and jeans and cowboy hats for worship, which is fine. Um, but, uh, you know, he went full blower, you know, chasuble, surplus, processional cross, incense swinger, you know, and uh, that fits in some places, but um, he, he just got so discouraged he quit. Uh, then he again he got back in. Then he took the congregation out of the uh, out of the synod. Oh. Yeah, so it was a sad situation, but but again, it's it is a, how you approach it, right? And I can't approach the ministry like, well, I'm going to do this and make them like it because this is what's meaningful to me as a pastor. I once read a quote, I can't remember where, but it said every pastor should wear bifocals be constantly looking down into the word and constantly looking out at his people. And and our goal is to bring the two together, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't just say, I'm going to do what I think is best and you people listen up. Um, you got to know your people too. And you don't want to just be looking at the people and saying, what do you like? Because I'll give you whatever you desire. You've got to be grounded in the word. So mm-hmm. it's, it's always a both and. Don't drive into one ditch to avoid the other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Cool. Well, to swing back towards technology here. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> uh, we have a few minutes left here. What are some things that you guys are excited about in the future? As you look into, because you've both done a fair amount of looking into future church, if you will. Uh, what are some things, particularly technology-wise, that you're excited about um, coming towards us here down the pike? I'm, I'm going to say intrigued about instead of excited about, but okay. virtual yeah, yeah, reality, yeah. I think, is on the horizon. Yeah. I think the the cost of a headset has dropped so considerably in the last well, two years. When COVID started, it was 900 bucks to get an Oculus. The Oculus 2 now is like 400 It's faster, better, lighter weight. So I am personally convinced that VR is going to be the new cell phone. And it'll be smartphone, I should say. It's going to be in everybody's homes very soon. And I think we should be on the front end instead of waiting till everyone else has done it as an opportunity to share the gospel. So mm-hmm. that's what I think is on the horizon. Um, I say intrigued by rather than excited because I don't know what the hidden dangers are yet. I think it's too early to know that. But I think we, the church has always taken technology and said, let's use this for the gospel right away. For better or worse, I think more often than not for better, even though there is some worse attached to it. Well, you talk about augmented reality or I, I should say more virtual reality sermons, right? Um, people can still come to church and gather but can can you imagine a sermon where you're preaching on the gospel for the day and let's just say it's uh you know jesus stills the storm Uh, you know can you imagine can you imagine putting everybody in a boat (laughs) and they're sitting there during the sermon and well i suppose that has some inherent dangers (laughs) too (laughs) (laughs) uh but But, you know, you have the preacher up there, and and you have the avatar, and you're the preacher. Uh, I wouldn't say that you should, you know, dress up like you're Jesus. I think you should (laughs) probably avoid that. Um, But but can you imagine, you know, that kind of interactivity where, you know, everybody's just like right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you're, you're preaching there, and that brings that that text to life um now of course not every text it's harder to do with an epistle text but i mean they were all written in times and places right maybe we put them in prison with us and and you take them on a tour through ephesus yeah right so a couple things using media is nothing new i mean stained glass windows were to teach the story in Mm -hmm. a way that connected with people and Mm -hmm. illustrations and my kids bible story books are meant to connect to the kids so Mm -hmm. this would just be another immersive way to do that i don't know if this is supposed to be public knowledge yet or not but <laughs> but multi-language publications is actually working on well not working on they're almost ready to release i believe this fall um in vr chat we're building a virtual jerusalem so you could go to jerusalem you know, of jesus day a model of it 
and have a Bible class there. You throw a screen up in the middle of the air, mm-hmm. and we, we, here's here's the temple area. Let's walk up here and go together. We're, they're also working on a virtual Capernaum and a virtual Nazareth. So um, we, we've been doing some fun stuff with it. We've even got Google Maps with the terrain and the el, 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 uh, oh, that's cool. all the altitude and all that overlaid on the top of it. So we're trying to make it as biblically accurate as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. If we're going to invest the time and energy to do this, we want to do it well. Um, so it's, that's been exciting, I would say, to try and take people to the scenes. And then I, my goal is eventually, like you're saying, do Bible stories that are immersive and interactive that you can feel like you're a part of. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a different technology besides uh, virtual reality. I, I hope this doesn't come across as a plug uh, for the new hymnal project. Uh, but the technology, the, the, no, the, <laughs> the technology that's going to be available for that, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of the, the, the website, uh, called service builder where, you know, you, you just log in and you have all these resources and you go, give me this service, this creed, this hymn, you know, this prayer of the church, this prayer of the day, bam, it puts it into a worship folder and it's done in 10 minutes, you know, and printed. And uh, you can put in, you know, your own artwork and your own prayers. And, you, I mean, it, it's just going to be fantastic. And, and uh, also, uh, let's say you're in a small congregation and, well, you don't have an organist, right? Well, that's going to be fully supported as well to all the music of the new hymnal. It's uh, higher quality than Hymnsoft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it will be because uh, no, because we the soft in, in Alaska. No, fairly because often, yeah. because the technology has right. changed and gotten yeah. so much better. But not only that, let's say okay, you do have an organist or a pianist, and you got one kid in your congregation who's a little, you know, what's church for me? Uh, but he plays saxophone. Well, you know what? You can go to Service Builder. Give me a sax part, E-flat alto sax part for that hymn. Download it. I mean, the musical resources. Now, that library isn't entirely built up. It's just going to be a multi. It's going to be a growing library year after year after year. But, you know, theoretically, if you want the, let's use an exemplomod absurdum, but if you wanted a rain stick part for, I don't know if that would be any different from hymn to hymn. But (laughs) When we preach on Noah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, I don't mind if this one comes across as a plug. St. John's is, <laughs> is coming out with our app, which is going to come out uh, August 1st. So that's been kind of a neat way that we can connect with people in the next generation. Yep. You can you can watch from the app, live streamed. Um, you can give right online there. You can fill out the guest register and tell us you were there. So it's just trying to use the, the gifts, that, the tools that God has blessed us with in our time and era in order to reach as many as possible. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, we finish up every podcast here the same way. Oh, we got to um, talk about the dangers. Okay, we can talk about the dangers. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, identity. Uh, this book uh, that we're reading, you know, talks about uh, in 1990 the first web page was produced, and now how many are there? It was a staggering number. I it was. Number I know they, was, they, they, one guy figured out if you would print all the web pages into a book, it would take one billion books of 300 pages each. One billion books. That's how many web pages there are. And so that's part of the challenge is that the identity, I think, you know, I wrote this in the, the paper I gave the pastor's conference. The other thing is, you know, who... How, how do you have a consistent message? I mean, when I look on Facebook right now, there's Wells Intersections, there's Wells Discussions, there's Wells Talk, there's Wells Lutherans. These are all Facebook groups, and none of them are from the Synod, you know. And then, uh, then people start asking questions. Well, why do Wells people, well, and they got this information from a website that's not officially sanctioned by the Synod, and so I think that's that's a big challenge because anybody can set up a website and say, you know, this represents Wells. Well, does it? You know? And a, Wells talk is, you know, half Missouri Senate oh, people yeah. on that. I mean <laughs> Yeah. 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 And there's some crazy stuff happens on every once in a while. There's also yeah. a Wells singles group and it's yeah. a terrifying place. <laughs> 
Never been there. Me either. <laughs> Never going back there. <laughs> I've been married before Facebook, so. Yeah. But I, but yeah, I think but this dangerous. whole thing. I think this whole thing about identity and who controls. Not not that you're a control freak, but as if you're. You know, what is the official doctrine and practice of the Wisconsin Synod? And who speaks for the Synod when anybody can set up a website and, you know, and say, this, this is what Wells people are like. And this is, I think that's a real challenge, you know. And in one way, it's nice that people are talking and connecting. But at the same time, uh, you know, people can easily get, the, get misinformation about that. I think another potential danger is feeling like we always have to be cutting edge and focusing more on the tech than on the message behind the tech. If you don't have something worthwhile saying, it doesn't matter what the media is through which you convey it. So we still need people, and I would say pastors in particular, spending more time crafting a, a good law gospel message. I see a danger in guys, I guess, spending more time with the the media than with the message being conveyed. With the increase of technology in a in a different vein, I sometimes wonder, you know, what is the future of language teaching with Greek and Latin and Hebrew and German? You know, what is the future of that? Uh, and we, you know, who are entrusted with training the next generation, we also have to have that question on our heart is Am I preparing them for a ministry that I was kind of like my ministry and I think it hasn't changed a whole lot? Or am I trying to prepare students for their ministry, which is probably going to look radically different than mine? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, there was talk this year of actually calling one of the SEM graduates to be a pastor of the First Wells Virtual Church. Yeah. That didn't happen, but... Um, one young man wrote his senior thesis on church and VR, and there was talk of that, I know. So yeah. that might not be that far from the future where he has no brick-and-mortar church. His right. gathering is purely online. So yeah. I'd be so lonely. Well, <laughs> I'd be so lonely. It could be. Yeah, it is. You know, it reminds me. Maybe it wouldn't be for everybody, but for me, it would be very lonely. It, it reminds me of uh, w- once when I was pastor in Atlanta, uh, in the very early days of what we call the Congregational Assistant Program, the CAP program, uh, Glenn Thompson started that. It was really the precursor of the PSI program. And so Glenn started that on a shoestring budget and asked me if I'd write a couple of the courses. Uh, I wrote the one on church and ministry, but long and short, I flew up to Canada, to Calgary, to do a you know, one-day seminar on this. And I met a man there. And never forgot this. He was so thankful for the fellowship of believers. He had left his church body because it was so liberal. And he said, for five years, I just sat and, you know, read my Bible. And I, I know the word of God in and out. And then he said to me, but I was dying on the vine. You know, like you said, you'd be so lonely. And it does bring up questions about church discipline, too. I mean, how do you, how do you... shepherd and discipline straying members in a virtual church. When there is no membership even. Yeah, where there's no membership. Hmm. When I look towards the future and now how technology, um, this is just a little speculative. Where is Christianity going in America? Uh, Will it be outlawed? Will it become so minimal? Will churches... Uh, be eased out of tax-exempt status and, you know, becomes financially crippling to operate uh, as Christianity wanes in America. And I, I think it's just church history to say that it will. Will we be back to a situation in the early church where we basically have house churches, you know? And, uh, and there we'll be able to tap into the technology to shepherd to people shepherd people that's already happening in unnamed parts of the world (laughs) that you don't have to edit out (laughs) yeah but uh uh, that's already happening so yeah yeah and then just look at the the church in vietnam as it started because they're they all have a smartphone and they're watching services and Hmong services here and they're going this is cool we want this gospel so but i do think i think moving forward in the future, 
as we always have had to in the past, we've got to focus on relationship and be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Create opportunities for people to gather, even if they're in a virtual digital world. Come, come spend time with each other. We, we need that. God built that into us to crave human interaction. So how we do it might change, but we still need to be intentional about connecting people with other people that we can connect people with their Savior. All right. All right. So as we close out here, um, the question we ask everybody, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? I've been te- I have four boys. I should have mentioned that in the intro. And I teach my boys to be a godly man means you use your strength to serve those weaker than you. And whether that be physical strength or financial strength, uh, mental or emotional, but especially spiritual strength. And so I tell them, your, your goal as a man is to always try and grow stronger so that you can use the gifts God has given you and thanks for what he's done for you in Christ. That would be my short elevator answer on what does it mean to be a godly man. A man after God's own heart, the description of David. Yeah, you look at David's life, and I, I think you have the answer there. It's a, it's a life of repentant faith. I mean, David certainly <laughs> had his shining moments, and he certainly had his profound failures. And in that way, uh, I think David and I have a lot in common, except maybe he has way more shining moments than I do. <laughs> uh, but to live in repentance and faith, right? And... Uh, to let that, that grace of God, that undeserved love, drive your entire life in all you say and do. Yeah. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a blessing to have you on. Cool Thank conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, if we, people want to find you or reach out to you online, how can they do so? com or pastorgunther at gmail.com. Don't forget there's a goofy E in Gunther. There's two E's, so... I don't have a personal website. <laughs> uh, can reach me through the email at the Martin Luther College directory. Uh, or I do have a Facebook page, right? But, you know, I put a lot of dumb stuff on there, too, about, gu- <laughs> about guitars and stuff like that. So, All right. Awesome. We'll put those down in the links below. Um, gentlemen, glad to have you. We'll see you next time. Go be, man to go be the man God created you to be. See you next time. Thank you. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, and publishing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. We hope it helps you along your journey to be a man after God's own heart. Be sure to check out the Gird Up channel on YouTube. There you will find many podcast episodes just like this one, but you will also find exclusive video content geared at helping you be the man that God created you to be by introducing you to other godly men, teaching you how to behave, study, dress, act, eat, and live like a man of God, and you'll find devotions to help you grow in faith. Please consider supporting Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping in the online store at girdupministries.com, or by making a $5 cup of coffee donation at girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure that you like, follow, friend, and subscribe to Gird Up and our guests on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Those links are in the description. And as always, we will be praying for you on your journey. Blessings, men. Time to gird up and go be the man that God created you to be.